What's up, H-Town? Welcome to the Believe in Astros podcast, your home for all things Astros, with your hosts, sports writer Jeff Balky and Astros broadcaster and former third baseman Jeff Blob. Now, here's Balky and Blubber. Wow, uh, quite an intro. Uh, the new intro happening today. I, I'm Jeff Balky. My partner in crime over here, Blummer. Uh, uh, how was uh, Atlanta? And uh, are you glad to be home after the road trip? Wait, you're just going to roll over the intro right there? <laughs> Come on, yeah, man! You put that together; it's great. You know, I yeah, have, I have a, that, we call that a show intro. That is the show right there. <laughs> Let me tell you something. There's nothing you can't do with Fiverr.com. Let me tell you right True. now, like that's that if you need an announcer and that guy apparently does announcing for like 610 and the Texans and the Rockets and stuff. I oh, recognize his voice immediately. I was like, well, clearly this has got to be the guy. This has got to yeah. be the dude. And I mean, knocked it out of the park on first try. So, yeah, that's why he's getting the big bucks. That is exactly <laughs> why he's getting the big bucks. Speaking of the big bucks, uh really quite a road trip is this the longest is this the last long road trip of the season i feel like it must be right dear god i i hope so i know that the (laughs) first of all you know other than the intro being fantastic yes it is very good to be back home and it's also very good to finally have a home day off i know if it's good for me i can only imagine how good it is for the guys but yeah coming up i think this next road trip is what two there's two day there's two days off on that next road trip with the two game series in texas before going to anaheim for three days so it's a little bit longer as far as days but not as games so the days off and they're kind of you know alleviates some of the pressure but at the same time it's always nice looking you know the three-day trip to uh detroit and then you're home for you know a, a much longer so yeah they this has been the worst schedule i have ever seen for any baseball team since i've been in the game yeah, it's been unbelievable. I mean, you know, uh, and I imagine are that wait though. First, are the two days off in Dallas or are they in Los Angeles? What, Makes a difference. One, yeah, well, they're doing something different this trip. They're actually flying out the Sunday after the Baltimore game, and they're going to have the day off in Dallas, a full day off in Dallas, mm. and then they're going to have fly to. They're going to fly to Anaheim after that day game on Wednesday in Texas, and then they're going to have a full day off in Anaheim too. So it's kind of nice. You know, you don't want to have those travel days. Sometimes those travel days can be a little interrupted. I know it's a quick trip to Dallas, but if you can have that full day off, you can actually, you know, if these guys choose to, they've got the resources to fly the family out, have them hang out with them wherever we're staying and have that full day off with the family. Because I know that's what's important to these guys when they get back home and have off days in Houston. It's actually kind of unplugging from that baseball family right. and plugging back into the family you're gonna fly your all your kids out to uh new to la la land and have them and go to uh, go to disneyland not not <laughs> unless this podcast takes off and we go national <laughs> yeah let's buying, make that happen <laughs> i would love to make that happen but, but until that. that happens i'm not i can't afford you know i, I can fly maybe my wife out but the kid there the girls go. have school and then six plane tickets you know how it is yeah you know, if i'm not I, as much as we we love California. I'm not spending that much money to go back to California. I'm going to go to Mexico. I'm going to go to Europe or something like that. Yeah, there you go. Now you're talking. Well, I will yep. give you one recommendation when you're in Dallas. My cousin owns a restaurant there that is absolutely spectacular. It's called yeah. Encina. Absolutely okay. go there. They they're it's he's he's from Uvalde, uh, Texas, as we've gotcha. all heard in the news. Um, 
Uh, he is a he was rated last year by Eater as the best chef in Dallas. He's a fantastic young talented chef i'm giving him a plug on the podcast here but it's yeah, really it. really good the last time i was there i ate there and i was it just blew me away so plus he's my cousin i got a rep for my, yeah, my boy Matt. family absolutely so let's talk about this this schedule you know you just said it was horrible 32 games in 32 days i mean it's a compressed schedule we know because of the lockout at the beginning of the season um, what kind of toll does that take on guys to just just like day after day after day at the ballpark, which is no breaks? It's it's a grind, you know, and mental. It's more mentally because you get to this point in the season, and these guys have unbelievable programs that they're they're on right now. And what I mean by programs is, you know, yeah. showing up at the ballpark, you know, one two in the afternoon. Get in the cage, get your get your swings in, work on whatever you need to to get right, get in the gym, make sure that you're staying strong and lifting, you know, make sure you're eating right. There's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that a lot of people don't know about. And if they don't maintain that schedule, that's when things start to spiral out of control and you start to, you know, you start to lose weight. The bat gets heavy, yeah. your legs get heavy, and all of a sudden you're trying to compensate and your mind isn't connecting with the body and you're not it's not reacting accordingly and you all of a sudden you find yourself in this slump but uh 32 games in 32 days in august is a daunting daunting task that these guys have to be mentally tough enough to get over fortunately this roster is deep enough and dusty and joe spot have kind of massaged it a little bit yeah. you know getting dubon in there and moving guys around a little bit to give them time off but at the same time when you you're in that when you're in the thick of it, you think it's never going to end. But when you get to the end of it, you're like, thank God that's over with. And thank God we have a good enough team that actually fought through that, played good enough baseball to maintain the best record in baseball. And I think that's where you can kind of fight through the idea of 32 games is knowing yeah. that you're the best of the best and everything right. you've done. You, you can see the the achievement with through all the work. Well, you know, 17 road games, they still went 19 and 13 in that stretch, which is yeah. really remarkable. Um, looks like the Yankees are starting to kind of bounce back a little bit now, so there's no rest for the weary. One of the things I talked about, I wrote in my uh, weekly Astros blog on Houston Press, was how the schedule going out here is not going to be any easier because of the expanded playoffs. Like everybody wants to get in, and so mm -hmm. there's you know tons of teams battling for spots. Like the Twins are battling for, and the Orioles are battling for a spot. Um, so games that you might have thought would have been a little bit easier or at least given you a little bit of a break, you're not getting that now because everybody's trying to, you know, it's this mad rush to mm -hmm. get one of those wild card spots that just didn't exist before. Well, it's crazy to think. I mean, the Astros are on a t completely different level. They played well enough early on to have the huge lead that they have. And they're not coasting, but they know that they can relax a little bit. They don't have to shove the accelerator down and try and force the issue in some of these games. So. Right. You're playing, like you said, you're playing against teams who all of a sudden found themselves, you know, two and a half games out of the wild card, three and a half games out of a out of a central title, and now you have them playing, you know, a little more invigorated or panic type baseball. And meanwhile, the Astros are going, man, these guys are freaking out. What's going <laughs> on? You know, they're playing above what they should be, and uh, we just got to sit here and try and fight them off a little bit. But I think the day off yet the other day, Monday for the Astros is a big yeah. deal. I also think that being at home for this many games to finish out the season yeah. is really going to invigorate these guys and have them playing better baseball. And you know as well as I do, when you're playing a game, knowing that you have the last at bat in the game always gives you a little sense of hope anyways if the game's a right. little tight. Yeah, and I, I think also, you know, with, with 
teams, there is that, as Rudy Tomjanovich used to say, that human nature thing that gets in the way where you're like, well, <laughs> we're 11 games up. And, you know, the, the, one of the worst right. teams you can play is a team that has literally nothing to lose at the end of a season. That's because the then, worst person to fight, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You know, everybody always says, would you rather fight a good fighter or would you rather fight crazy? And you're like, always a good fighter. <laughs> like, you know, you, nobody wants to fight crazy. Yep. It's the same thing with, with these teams that don't have anything to lose. They, they're just out there free swinging, having a good time. A great point. It's just playground baseball for them. And so <laughs> they don't care, right? They're just, they're just glad to play out the string. Some of these guys are thinking also about their own totals. I know a lot of these guys, as we get to the end of the season, are looking at bonus checks they could be getting if they hit a certain number of RBIs, a certain number of home runs. You know, so that's got to be playing in the mind of some of these guys who aren't on playoff teams. So everybody's out there. And, and these are all professionals. You know, it's not like yeah. we're, you know, we're not out here watching a bunch of Little Leaguers. No offense to the Little League World Series going on right now <laughs> in the Pearland kids. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, these are all big boys, and they know what they're supposed to be doing out there. Yeah, one thing you can't forget down the stretch, and I we actually said this physically out loud in our clubhouse when I was playing for the Montreal Expos, is you know we're getting beat around in the National League East in the late '90s by the Mets and the mm-hmm. Braves, and you know you're going to a weekend, you've got Glavin, Maddox, and Smoltz, and you're you know, the only thing that could motivate you at the time was, hey man, salary drive, and never <laughs> discount, never discount a guy or a team that is going out there, like you said, playing for their numbers and also playing for that next contract. That's a big deal. Yeah, it absolutely is. Now, after these 32 days and 32 games, I looked a little bit at the pitching totals, Mm -hmm. mainly the innings pitched. And if you look, there are a bunch of guys who are either at, above, or pretty near uh, their career pitching totals for a season in innings pitched. I mean, Fromber Valdez is at 149. The most he's ever thrown is 134. Um Jose Urquidy's at 134. He was at 107 his last time. You look at a guy like Montero, he's at 50.2, which is the highest of his career, except the one year he was a starter when he went 119. (laughs) So, I mean, a lot of these guys are going well over where they've been before. I mean, the one luxury they have is Verlander's well below his. He's not going to get close. Mm -hmm. Uh, Presley's well below his. Lance McCullers, obviously. He's only thrown like 11 innings. But a lot of these guys, do you have to start thinking about giving these guys more time just to, you know, make sure they're fresh for the playoffs. Yeah. And that when I get done talking about this, it may lead me into a question for you because we're finding mm-hmm. out that the Astros are going to pull back and maybe get into that five man rotation. But yeah. before we get there to answer your question, I think there's a couple of factors you need to look at a little bit when you start to see those guys uh, getting past those innings, you know, that they've pat, uh, pitched in the past. Number one, Eventually, you got to break through that ceiling and and find a new ceiling. So these guys right. are really doing a good job of pushing through there. I like the fact that they've actually been in that six man rotation and they haven't exactly met that threshold. Maybe before the All Star break or at the All Star break, it's yeah. in the middle of late August. So you you've kind of pushed that back a little bit, and then you have to start to look at you know look at what the performance is is telling you because you can watch what a guy is doing during the game and watch what he's done in the last three or four starts and you can take two guys for instance Jose Urquidy his last 10 starts that dude has been phenomenal and I he mean, looked very strong real yeah he's been unreal he, he's been uh, great against good competition pitched yeah. phenomenal against the Atlanta Braves and then let's take Luis Garcia for example he looks to be fatigued a little bit he does. and his numbers haven't been as great so 
with them coming back to a five-man rotation after we found out with Justin Verlander coming out after 91 pitches and they're going to kind of reset the rotation, uh, do you like the idea? I know that days off come into play. Uh, and, you know, where do they make the adjustments? That's where you can start to rotate maybe a couple of guys at the back end of the rotation, I think, to, you know, suppress some of those innings and save them for later in the October run. Yeah, I think to me it feels like when you look at a guy like Verlander, the main thing to me is not necessarily cutting down on his innings. To me, it's watching pitch counts because yep. this that's a guy that you just don't it, – it's, it's not necessarily that he's going to tire so much as I worry about you, it, when you do start to get tired. He's a guy that throws harder, as we've talked about. The longer his outings go, he seems to throw harder. He's hitting 99 miles an hour, 98 miles oh, an hour man. in like yeah. the seventh inning after he's already thrown 95 pitches or whatever. And so that you have to start thinking about, okay, do we want this guy? Like he's, I, I don't know if you saw the clip of him in the bullpen talking to some of the younger guys, and they're like, hey, you came out, you got, he had a no hitter on the line, and mm-hmm. he's like, and he points to his elbow. He's like, I'm worried about this. I'm yeah. worried about, you know, I'm not worried about, the, uh, you know, a no the hitter picture, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I feel like that's a guy that you know he knows himself. Some of these younger guys, like you said, you're Keaty. My goodness, I mean. He and Christian Javier have been really revelations guy, this yeah. year. Um, just both, just so consistently good, and so many quality starts. I, I saw that. I, you guys said that on the broadcast. Seven starting pitchers. Seven. Seven starting pitchers. I don't think the Astros have ever thrown seven starting pitchers in an entire season. That's just insane. Yeah. That that's a credit. It's a it's a it's such a team effort to have something like that happen. You yeah. number one, you've got to have the talent to be able to have those guys. But then you need to have the 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 protection around them, the training staff, the strength yeah. coordinating staff, and then you introduce you know Josh Miller to the situation, and he's got to be able to have a map, you know, that started at the beginning of the season that's going to map out how I keep these guys healthy. But it's right. been nothing less than miraculous how everything's kind of meshed and melded and come together to create the situation to get these guys where they're at now yeah. and have them healthy looking forward and getting stronger like the Javier's and Urquidy's and Verlander's to get into the postseason. Yeah, I, I also look at the when it comes to like the hitting, we start looking at that too because you do see some guys going in sort of different directions. I mean, Jordan is is like I think you made a really good point on the broadcast of like he goes in there and you're every time you're expecting fireworks, but the guy's just becoming a really good hitter. Like he's mm-hmm. hitting the other direction. Um, you know, he's hitting balls that he used to not be able to get to, especially those pitches on the outside. They try to pitch him on the outer yeah. third of the plate, and now he's just reaching out there and doinking it out in the outfield for a single, um, and with his power oftentimes for a double. And, you know, that's a guy who he's adjusted. And you, I mean, of course, we all want to, you know, what do they say? Chicks dig the long ball. We all want to see it. But I mean, when the guy just, he's become, he's turning into Jordan Alvarez, professional hitter. Like, and I'm not sure anyone would have expected that. No, you know, we, when he flashed onto the scene in 2019, we were like, wow, this guy's unbelievable because all of his numbers in AAA translated to the big leagues and then yeah. some. And he created such a high bar for himself that you're wondering, how is he going to be able to keep pace with that? And here we are. He's healthy in 2022. The knees feel good. He's moving around in left field. The dude's sprint speed will surprise everybody on the ball field when he's going around the bases. But the fact that he gets himself in a situation with runners at first and second or a runner at third base or a runner at second base 
And instead of, and I've noticed this throughout the course of my career, not just on the field, but also in the broadcast booth, high production guys who, and what I mean by that is guys who drive in runs. Those are the production guys for me. Yes, they're going to clip the home run and hit the three run jack and everybody loves it, but it's what happens in between every one of those two, three run home runs. They've got to go out there and hit the sack fly. They've got to go out there and get the base hit up the middle or take what's right. given to them like you're talking about with pitches on the outside corner. And that's where Jordan, for me, has really matured at such a young age, is saying, look, the guy on the mound is a really good pitcher. He's not going to he's going to throw his best stuff at me. I'm not going to be able to go out there, step on it, hit it 450 feet, electrify the crowd. I've got to instead take this maybe t- running two-seamer about four, 94 miles an hour on the outside corner and just kind of you know, punish it the other way, take the base hit and right. keep the line moving for Bregman, for Tucker and some of these guys behind me. That's where that maturity sets in where you don't try and do too much. You try and do what you can. And man, you're right though. He's turning himself into a Barry Bonds-ish type player where he can lay off some pitches, get the big hit like a Carlos Lee. I saw Carlos Lee yeah. shorten up all the time to drive in a run, but <clears throat> When the moment comes and he gets that mistake, yeah, El Caballo. But, you, you know, Jordan, he'll have his moment. He'll start getting things going here down the stretch. You yeah. watch that month of September. He'll turn things around. Well, you can't avoid the zone all day on him because he does have good plate <laughs> yeah. discipline. You know, you're going to have to throw something in the zone eventually. And when you mm-hmm. do, he's going he's gonna to kill you for it. Um, I, I tell you, when, you know, let me ask you this question because I hear, see people on Twitter all the time talking about this, and I see a lot of people talking about, you know, the shift and all that. And, and they always say things like, well, guys just need to learn to hit the other way. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and I always think to myself, well, that's got to be easier said than done. I mean, mo- baseball is a game about how much failure you can endure. You know, it's, you're not going to be <laughs> – and you're ne- nobody hits 500 or better. So you're always going to lose when you're at the plate yeah. to some I degree. I had unbelievable endurance. nice so what do you do like uh, how do you explain to someone that listen you can't just swing at a ball and hit it against the shift because not i assume also and you can tell me if i'm wrong but i'm assuming pitchers are throwing pitches as well that are going to make it harder to hit against the shift you know if you're Mm -hmm. playing you know you're going to throw pitches inside that they're going to try and pull like what is the sort of the geometry on that that says yeah you can't just go out there and swing into the shift every single time so to understand the shift you've got to understand that the reason they're shifting is be based on past history and projecting where you're going to hit that ball next so you have to go back and look at the historical data now they're going back and not just looking at where you hit that baseball. They're looking at what pitch made you hit that baseball consistently in that spot. So it's a combination of we're going to move my position players over here. We're going to t- ask our pitcher to pitch in this certain fashion against him so that we can actually try and project or anticipate or get him to hit into that situation. Now, as a hitter, I know what pitch I roll over consistently or I know why I roll over that pitch consistently. So now it's a combination of getting a pitch that I can go the other way with and beat the shift with and actually, you know, uh, instituting a swing that will take that pitch and go the other way with it. Mm. Now, a lot of times that means, you know, take uh, Christian Vasquez for me is a great example of this because mm. he is so oh, good yeah. at manipulating the baseball. Uh, really I've been is. really impressed with him. He'll let the ball travel and get a little bit deeper. So a lot of ways to beat the shift, uh, just to simplify things, let that ball get as deep as you can, because you know, as well as I do, if I'm clipping the ball out in front, 
it's going to be to the pull side. But if right. I let it get a little bit deeper, you know, the, my bat angle is kind of more directed towards that right side if I'm hitting right-handed, and I can hit that ball the other way. But it takes a lot of faith, a lot of trust, a lot of work uh, to be able to do that. And then it's also recognizing the pitch that you can do that on. Because if you're trying to do that on a, on a slow breaking ball to the inside, you're going to have to take one of the uglier swings to try and manipulate it that way. Uh, and if right. you get a fastball in, you're going to get absolutely destroyed and break your hands and your bat and everything and be embarrassed. <laughs> so there's, there's, there's a lot of things going into it, but the good hitters can be patient enough to recognize and get the pitch to be able yeah. to do that with. But again, the idea this day and age, get paid by hitting the long ball and producing. <laughs> so a lot of it is, you know, pull to the, you know, lift to the pull side. And that's tough to get out of guys' heads. Yeah, well, I mean, and and they're all hitting for launch angle and stuff. Yeah. They're not, you know, they're not thinking about that. I mean, uh, kind of thing that's for sure. That's the Ted Williams approach. How right. beat the shift. Exactly, right? <laughs> and and God knows there's so many Ted Williams in the Major League Baseball today. <laughs> um, right, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you the one thing, though, is speaking of, well, we won't speak of Ted Williams in this instance, but speaking of guys that are hitting, good night. What is going on with Alex Bregman? Like, the guy has a kid. He's got that dad pop. I mean, he's look in the last uh, before last night in the last Mm -hmm. 19 games, he's slashing 357, 439, and 686 with a 1.125 OPS. I mean, the guy is just murdering the baseball. And I'm like, can he just adopt a kid or a pet or something like on the regular? Because I mean, if that's what it takes, good grief, that guy is crushing the ball. What it? I mean, obviously he struggled a little bit earlier in the season. He kind of has turned that around. But I mean, do you see anything different that he's doing, or is he just seeing the ball better? What's the deal? Uh, it, it's been a work in progress, but maybe he knew something we didn't because usually guys get three days for the paternity list to go have you know the birth of their child, enjoy one. it and. One. <laughs> he t- he knew his swing like, was close. It's like, listen, kid, I love you. I got to go. <laughs> yeah. He's like, my swing is almost there. I love you to death. It's great to have you here, but I got to go play some baseball. And he goes on the road. I'm guessing I'm guessing all winter long he's going to be the one changing the diapers because he went on a road oh, yeah. trip almost immediately, and his wife's probably like, all right, uh, Breggy Bomb, it's time to go yeah. take care of the kid. But yeah, exactly. I mean, he came back immediately and just started crushing. Yeah, he started destroying it. You know, it's amazing what having a family that will change your perspective a little bit. He's even spoken to it a little bit saying, mm-hmm. you know, I was so hyper-focused on baseball that, you know, that was all. And now he's got a beautiful wife in Regan. She's given birth to this great kid. They've got a whole new dynamic in the family. So now he can kind of separate things a little bit. And I think it's kind of refreshed his idea of what to do on the field. But this guy, is a, he, he is... He is a permanent workaholic, and I think it was Trey. Yeah. I think it was Trey Mancini who talked about Alex's work ethic and how he's never seen anybody work as hard as Alex Bregman. Oh. And I think you're starting to reap the benefits of that. Uh, he's talked about trying to keep that front side closed. I know a lot of times, you know, if that front side is a right-handed hitter or left-handed hitter, if it opens up too soon, you're in the zone, out of the zone. So you, your timing has to be impeccable to be able to get the barrel to it and do what you want with it. But if you keep that front side closed, that means that your hands are staying back, you're seeing the ball for a little bit longer, and your bat path is much greater to stay through the zone a little bit longer. And that's where the success for Alex Bregman is going. Because if you watch him, he'll stay through the zone on a fastball, shoot it to right center field every once in a while. And then if he gets the hanging off speed like we saw last night against the Twins on a split, 
All of a sudden, if he stays through that zone, it turns into launch mode. But the dude has been an absolute beast. And I love the fact that it's kind of coincided with a little bit of a dip in production from Jordan Alvarez. So you don't really recognize it. I mean, that is the true definition of protecting a guy is what Alex Bregman and Kyle Tucker are doing right now for Jordan. Yeah. And, and, and for that matter, Jeremy Pena too. I mean, who's, who's really going through those rookie struggles at the moment and he's swinging at a lot of pitches he shouldn't be swinging at. It feels so much like a rookie thing. You know, he's just like guys are starting to figure out how to pitch him. They're like, let's throw him breaking pitches off the plate because he's Mm going to stretch for those when he shouldn't. Um, How hard is it to learn when, when you come up out of the minors and, and you're, and you're playing well, but how hard is it to go through that? And and like, never mind the initial you're in the big leagues, but that, once people start to adapt a little bit and start throwing you things that you just, I mean, you didn't see before, you know, I remember that remember in bull Durham talking about like breaking balls that exploded across, you know, across the plate and all that, that's gotta be just super intimidating and confusing when you're coming up and you're thinking, Hey, I'm going to get up here and, you know, knock the cover off the ball every day. And then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden you're getting thrown pitches that just aren't what you do. Well, that's gotta, that's gotta drive you nuts. Oh, it, it does. So you initially show up to the big leagues. They're going to find out if you can hit the fastball. Obviously, Jeremy Pena hits the fastball he incredibly can. well. And he can hit. The thing for Jeremy is he can hit the off speed on the plate. It's what's off the plate. And I think the book right now is that he will expand. He'll get off the outside corner. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's up to Jeremy Pena to find a way to stay on the plate. Because that's where you're going to do most of your damage. You're not going to do your damage going out there and hitting nasty off the outside corner. you got to try and stay within your element, within your ability to cover that pitch. And, you know, major league pitchers, as good as they are at throwing strikes, they're also very good at exposing weakness and being able to put a slider on the outside corner and break it off that outside corner to see if you'll go after it. And once you do, they will continue to go there until (laughs) you prove to them otherwise. And that's where kind of Jeremy Pena is at. We saw him. He made the adjustment early in the season where he started to lay off some of those sliders off the outside corner and he went on a tear. So he's kind of in that same, you know, that, that purgatory area right now where he's kind of, he's hitting the ball good, but he still has a tendency to expand a little bit. But when he stops expanding and all of a sudden the pitcher says, damn, he's not going out there. I got to get back on the plate. Then what? And that's when he starts to do his damage again. But yeah, it's frustrating knowing that, that they are exposing the weakness. Now it's up to me as a hitter, a very young hitter to try and find out a way to combat that and get some pitches I can handle. Did guys go after well like what did they go after on you when oh, you first dude. started like what was what was the thing that they used to they used to drive you nuts So coming up through the minor leagues everybody had a you know the guys that had potential had very good fastballs and they had very good curveballs and sliders nobody had a really good changeup mm-hmm. uh, some of the best changeups I've ever seen were like my first year in the big leagues cuz they would say okay I'm going to throw a fastball crushing the fastball. There were a couple of sliders I had a tough time with and I would chase, but I eventually stayed on those and were able to find some hits with them. But it was the changeup for me that absolutely spun me into the ground. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't wait long enough. I couldn't anticipate the, the movement or the shape on that pitch. And I continually tried to go get it out in front of home plate instead of letting it travel and maybe fade off the plate. So that was probably my biggest issue. But I also, you know, I like we just talked about, you got to find a way to combat that and get them off that pitch. So knowing that I hit the fastball well, 
I got on top, I crowded the plate and I scooted up mm. closer to the pitcher to be able to cut off that change up. And all of a sudden I saw the change up better. The shape was a little bit different and I felt like I could attack it. And they yeah. started to challenge me more on the inside corner with the fastball. And I started to have a little more success or at least be able to control some more at bats than I used to. Yeah. Uh, but that's, that's where I kind of got to the change up was, I mean, even to the end of my career, it was one of the tougher pitches for me to hit. Well, you know that I know the Astros and Joe Espada. They they preach that don't swing at a pitch that you can't hit. Just wait for your pitch. Even if your pitch, you have to wait mm-hmm. through a strike or two. You know, even yeah. if you have to, if you see a pitch that's just not one you're going to hit, but it's in the zone, that's cool. You know, go ahead and let that go. Wait for your pitch. Sometimes that means you might not get up there and get every shot at it. Sometimes a pitcher's not going to throw you something you want. Um, and you do your best, but I, that's a really, that to me seems like a really obvious and logical approach, but it wasn't something that I don't think it's something that people have done all through the major leagues, you know, that it's always been a swing league. I've I've read some books about the history of it and, you know, watch some stuff and they say, you know, they would say, you can't sit up there with the, you know, don't strike out with the bat on your shoulder. Right. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times nowadays, that's the thing to do. You wait for a guy to make a mistake or at least wait for a guy to throw you something in the zone that you can actually hit. Yeah, I think, you know, the idea was always to get a hit, you know, and I, and that's probably yeah. a misconception that I think a lot of us, you know, during at least I did. I know personally I'd go up there, man, I'm just trying to get a hit. So what do I do? I don't take my normal swing. I try and manipulate the baseball or I mm-hmm. try and manipulate my swing and maybe not swinging in a pitch I normally would. But I think the idea now and when, you know, when I had moments where I was really swinging the bat well, I was thinking, just get in a position to be able to to be ready enough to hit the ball as hard as I possibly could. And I think what that did was it gave me the idea of being ready to hit number one, but it also gave me the idea when I saw the pitch coming in to say, okay, slide on the dirt. I'm not going to crush that pitch. A change up fading away from me. Not a pitch I'm going to crush. So I'm going to be a little more patient, and hopefully I get a mistake, a hanging curveball, or a fastball out over the plate. Then I can be in the position to go out there and put a good swing on it. But uh, when you go up there with the idea of trying to get a hit, I think that's where you find yourself in a lot of trouble instead of with the idea of just get ready to hit this ball as hard as I can. Yeah, well, what's Daryl Royal said, luck is when preparation meets opportunity, right? Just stand up there and wait for it and hopefully be ready. Um, And speaking of being ready, like, I don't want to gush over the guy any more than we already have, but is, is Justin Furlander human? I don't feel like the guy is like, I yeah, feel we like may need to cut him mute. open and see, man. It's, uh, it's just, so he goes six innings last night. The only, the only hitter he allowed was on a wild pitch on a strikeout <laughs> of all things. I mean, that's, that's an embarrassment, really. If you're the team, it's like, how'd you get on base? Well, it was a wild pitch on a strikeout. Yeah, it was like, a strikeout. That's the best we, yeah. that's the best we could, that's the best we could do. But, you know, it, it's interesting about Verlander because, okay, you mentioned it uh, here and you mentioned it, I've heard it on the broadcast about how Tommy John surgery is not the death knell that it, it used to yeah. be for players. Guys can come back from it, even 39-year-olds apparently. But, you know, there's something different about Verlander too. And I've heard people talk about this, and I'm wondering if you've seen this as well, and that is that he talks about how he had this two-year layoff from baseball they, he and, and his wife, Kate Upton, let's just say it out loud, um, had a had a, <laughs> had a baby. I mean, it's, it's, 
you know, I saw somebody tweet a couple of years ago after the Astros won the World Series, and they said they used to be jealous of Justin Verlander because he was married to Kate Upton. Now they're jealous of Kate Upton because she's married to Justin Verlander. <laughs> I <laughs> like know? it. Yeah, it's definitely moved <laughs> it's, that way. <laughs> it's like, absolutely, right? So they had a kid. You know, he's, he's settled down. And a lot of people have said even his personality has kind of changed a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, he's more willing to talk to the young guys. He's trying to be more of a role model. Have you perceived that sort of change in him too, having been around him now all this time? Yeah. I've, you know, when he came over in 2017, obviously we have access to the team. And to mm-hmm. be brutally honest, I mean, I, he, I've always had a decent relationship with him. I don't, I don't go out of my way to be Justin's buddy, but I want to be available <laughs> enough to have conversations ask him, you know, about pitching yeah. or ask him about his, you know, family and daughter and just get to know him a little bit more. And he's always been a guy that I've, you know, if we cross paths in a hallway or in a lobby, he'll be like, Hey, Jeff, how's it going? You know, what's up? How you doing? Kind of thing. And if we're on the field, you know, with a, a lot of the baseball issues in 2019 with the juice ball, we actually had some extended conversations going, what the hell's going on with this thing? Wow. So I've gotten a good relationship with him, but yes, it looks like he's a little more outwardly trying to be a guy that's more approachable and uh, a little more, you know, I don't know, likable. I, I could hmm. care less. If I'm on Justin Verlander's right. team and he's being a jerk and he's <laughs> pitching the way he is, hey, man, we're yeah, best right. buds. I don't exactly. <laughs> I was never the guy that was like, man, I wish he was nicer. You know, I, I just go out there and let's do our job. But uh, he's definitely opened up a little bit. There was a great article in The Athletic that uh, he's talking about, you know, like you said, being away from the guys. You get a real understanding on whether or not you miss the game. And I think he really yeah. understood that he did miss the game. And he understood he still has a lot to do in the game. And therefore, the work ethic changes a little bit. The attitude changes a little bit. Gets to be around his family. And now his daughter's starting to understand you know, what dad does for a living. And that'll change your perspective on wow. things too. But I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, you know, so you're trying trying to create a good legacy for them to understand and respect, and then all of a sudden that just kind of overflows into the clubhouse. But he's talked about it too. Being in Houston, he understands this is a championship team, and he expects himself to be the leader of a championship team, and he's doing everything possible to uh, maintain that idea. He's been unreal. Yeah, I guess 40 is the new 20. You know, for when it comes to Justin Verlander, exactly. Well, you know, they the twins were back. Carlos Correa was back. Mm -hmm. I really thought that was a, a, you know, it was kind of interesting. I mean, you see guys come back and and see their teams again, but it's obvious that Carlos's relationship to this team is different. Um, I mean, he's out there chatting with the guys. I mean, he had the, I mean, there's Lance McCullers carrying his daughter because he's the (laughs) godfather of his kid. or, or I guess son Kylo, right? Yeah, son, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, that's a to me. You you can see that he's you know he's still sort of an astro in a weird way, and mm-hmm. uh, this was obviously his first time back, and he it's a very special place for him. Um, that have, I, I I'm, I'm assuming you've gone back to uh, previous teams before and played against them. What what was that like? Uh, to go back and and see the guys that you had played with, and you know, be in a, the opposite fields, you know, the opposite <laughs> dugout, the opposite clubhouse, must have been a little odd, right? One of the more bizarre moments of my life was 2005, digging in against the Astros on a team. You know, I was a year removed from trying to do accomplish the same task, so. 
I will, I will let that just kind of fade into the background as I talk about <laughs> the time that I, 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 you know, I wasn't renewed or didn't get another contract with the Padres, but I signed back with the Astros. And then I went back and played against the San Diego Padres. That was probably one of the weirder moments because, you know, I, I California kid played with the Padres. Oh, yeah. We, you know, uh, I was there. 0506 when we won the National League West and then my last year there in 07 we lost game 163 against the Colorado Rockies and we all kind of sat in the you know we felt like there was something unfinished and I think that's where you kind of you 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 develop that relationship you feel like you have something unfinished and then that that relationship is broken and you have to come back on another team that's where it gets a little awkward but it was it's always good to go back into a ballpark and get the ovation and get the understanding that the fans really did respect you when you were here and that obviously overflowed with carlos coming back to houston and you got to remember earlier in the season when the astros went to minnesota he didn't suit up he was on the injured right, list so injured. we really didn't get the image of Carlos in another uniform. And I think that's where it kind of sunk in for me. I was like, damn, he, uh, yeah. he is on the other team because he was wearing the Minnesota uniform. But you're you're correct in the sense that it had an overwhelming feeling of, yeah. even though he's over there, he's, he, he's still one of us. He still feels like one of us. It was weird. And you can't look, I mean, if you're, if you're going to be a sports fan uh, and you're going to plan to live longer than a decade on the planet, you just can't be in love with players anymore. You just, it's just, oh, you can man. love them and so be happy sad, for but them. So true. But they just move so often. You just can't be a fan of a player only. Um, you have to be a fan of the team because the, these guys are going to move around and it's going to yeah. suck and you're not going to be happy about it. But it's either that or you're going to be miserable all the time. So you just got to try to find a way to root for the team. I will say Carlos Correa might have helped break up a fight, though, which was kind yeah. of interesting. What happened I mean, there? There? Was, there was some shenanigans going on in the – like Altuve, I don't know about you, but I don't recall the last time I saw him look pissed like that. Like he looked genuinely – unhappy with that yes. pitch uh from a former teammate weirdly enough and mm-hmm. um i mean what was going on there did he were they chirping at each other i mean has <laughs> have we heard anything about what the hell was going on yeah i'm kind of anxious to get to the field today because that will right. be one of the questions i ask is you know what what would i miss because right you know aaron aaron sanchez got traded over uh and they were teammates so there was a connection yeah. there i don't know what happened when they were on the same team together or if there was something beforehand uh there's there's a lot i need to learn about the situation yeah but watching jose altuve since 2020 obviously he has been the scapegoat for for all the yeah. vitriol, for whatever reason, for the Ridiculous. for the ill-informed uh, fan out there. But right. there have been opposing teams that have thrown at him on purpose. I know that Seattle has thrown at him on purpose, and yet he takes it 95 up and in from Logan Gilbert and kind of shakes it off, runs down to first base like Altuve does, right. and plays the game hard. But yeah. last night, I was taken back by the fact that he reacted the way he did. But I was also – there was another camera angle – from uh, from the third base side, I think it was a fan mm-hmm. video. Altuve gets hit. Altuve looks at Sanchez, but Maldonado's on the top step. So I that, saw that. That kind of that kind of fed into the idea that maybe there was something there previously we didn't know about. Maybe, yeah, because Maldonado, he's you know, look, Maldonado's always coming in hot. You can forget yes. about that, right? There's <laughs> there's a reason that he's called Machete, and it goes beyond just his abilities behind the plate. That no, guy's that gamer. guy. You do not want to. There's not. You don't want to play 
with with that guy at all. So yeah, when I saw that video, I thought, okay, well, this seems to me like then something else is going on. This isn't mm-hmm. just some kind of one thing uh, that just happened in that moment. And also just because Jose Altuve, that's just not his it's style. His you know, yeah. it's just not. He's just not like that. I mean, I remember being like pleasantly shocked and happy when he like his shirt came off after that one to sort of like <laughs> yeah. to like prove that the whole stupid buzzer art thing oh my gosh that, yeah i mean yeah. i hate conspiracy theories to begin with i'm a big i i'm like you know just come on but when it comes to that kind of stuff it drives me bonkers of course now i don't know if you saw but evan drellich's book is coming out in february it's going to go over Uncle. I mean, exactly. Please, enough. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. You know, it's like, and honestly, I get it. It's an important topic in baseball. But, uh, I mean, we all know that this is something that has gone on in baseball for a long time. We all know that the Astros were not alone. The Astros were kind of, unfortunately, not, not smart enough to not get caught. And, of course, Jeff Lunau, you can look back now and say, okay, the guy obviously acted a bit like a jerk. He probably behaved in a way that wasn't super appropriate, but you know he was doing it because he wanted to win, and that's what happens when you get into com- competitive situations. So yeah, but with Altuve, that guy, you just feel like after a while, how do you keep taking it? How do you keep taking yeah. that over? I mean, I'll admit that the blow-up trash cans on the field were pretty funny. <laughs> Those were pretty good. <laughs> I'll give I'll give fans credit for that one. That was not mm-hmm. bad. But just, I mean, the the vitriol, like you said, towards these guys is just unbelievable. And it's just like, it, look, man, it's been five years. Like, this, can we just move on? It's clear nobody's cheating now. So let's just mm-hmm. let's just let it go. As the uh, as the uh, as Frozen yeah, would Elsa. say, yeah. <laughs> exactly as Elsa would say. You know, you have daughters. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I just too much. <laughs> I, I just, I just wonder, you know, how, like, do you think this? I mean, do you think these gets to these guys at this point, or do you think they've just gotten to the point where they're thick skinned enough? They're just like, eh, whatever. Yeah, I think they're thick skinned enough. I don't know how, but I mean, I, I'm in the booth, and I, you know, this is our really our first season of getting out there and yeah. traveling and being around these guys, and and everything that we heard for the last two years was through my headset. Or it's through a TV screen and it wasn't, you know, I wasn't there. It was personal, but it wasn't, it wasn't physical. It wasn't visceral. Now that we're in the situation and now I get to hear it firsthand and, you know, you hear some of the comments and and it comes through so loud and clear and you're going, man, how do you get to the point where you say that to another human being, no matter what they've done to you, unless they've taken one of your, your firstborn, but that's where we're at and that's where they're at. But I almost feel like watching them being able to perform under those Mm -hmm. circumstances, it's almost as if it's a badge of honor for these guys to know that they're that hated, yet they still go out there and produce. It's unbelievable. There's definitely been a bit of that, that it seems like that, like, okay, go ahead and hate us. And we'll just take, we'll just feed off of that. I I mean, that's interesting for you to hear you say that, that you've heard the comments directly. And some of them are really awful, you know, fans, uh, it is short for fanatic. Um, mm-hmm. There is a, there are, a, there is always an element of fans who are going to be awful, who are going to do things like the wave. Sorry, I had to throw <laughs> that in there. <laughs> Sorry, well that played. was personal opinion. But no, there, there are going to be fans who are going to say really awful things, and I, and and it's you know, and it's fine to be funny. You know, it's fine to be 
Uh, be creative. You know, so have be some creative. fun. Yes. Yeah, like I said, the blow up trash cans, very clever. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of fun. But I am always shocked when I hear, and I've talked to uh, former players and in different sports, who you know say some of the, some of the stuff that they that people would say to them because they bought a ticket. It's remarkable, and I I was I mean I thought that only happened in Philadelphia. But you know, I, <laughs> I thought they were the, the only worst. ones that threw. They were the only ones that threw batteries at Santa Claus. But yeah. my goodness, uh, some of the stuff they say. So I can't even imagine what the Astros must had to have taken. Yeah, and and I it, they could probably write one gnarly book about it. Uh, but uh, you know, I th- that's one thing I really kind of I I don't I, I've never. I've actually never asked one of those guys about what it feels like. I just constantly really? go down there and just try and keep it as routine and yeah. as normal as I possibly can. Because the last thing I want to do is is be in that category of, oh, man, did you hear that guy booing? They hear it. I mean, everybody hears it. And you wow. just – I want to be an outlet for them that uh, – much like Astro fans want to be an outlet and an encouragement – uh, to them yeah. to go out there and continue to play baseball because you, if you know deep down if you are a true baseball fan yeah. game a, a fan of the game of baseball and you go out there and say those things or or feel that way about these guys then you're not yeah. watching the game you're just a guy that's just feels like oh my life sucks and I got to make his suck too kind of thing yeah. you know it's it's just it's awful but these guys do a really good job of rising above it well, I, the only time I've ever been involved in a fan shouting incident was in the 1980s in my senior after my senior in high school. Uh, two buddies of, of mine and I went to uh, the entire series against the Mets. Uh, the Astros were terrible that that summer, <laughs> and uh, so the, the Astrodome was was only about half full, if that. And mm-hmm. uh, for one of the games, we decided to we got managed to. You know, in the Astrodome, you could sort of walk down, and if nobody asked yeah, you, you creep down, ticket, seat jump. You creep yeah. down, yeah. So we ended up pretty close on the first base side, and Keith Hernandez is playing first base, <laughs> and so we're razzing Keith Hernandez pretty much the whole game. Nothing crazy or out of the ordinary, just whatever. And I, to this day, I cannot remember what my buddy said. I do remember it was something just outrageous, and he said something. And I remember Keith Hernandez; it was like in between pitches. He literally turned around and looked up at the stands <laughs> and goes, "Really?" Like that's. A, and I remember. It was that thinking, bad. He's like, I remember Damn. thinking, "Wow, man!" The guy from New York just mm-hmm. turned around. The guy said, "Really?" He just kind of looked like, <laughs> "Really?" And it was, and then he just sort of shook his head and laughed. And I remember thinking, "Okay." That sort of the, summer has been made. And it wasn't awful. It was just weird. I remember thinking at the time, like, it didn't even make sense. <laughs> and I think that's what Hernandez was responding to. It just was so bizarre. He was just like, what the hell yeah, was that's that? Hilarious. So, so I love it when guys are creative. But yeah, let's, if you're a fan, don't, again, uh, don't let your friend fans be jerks and also don't let them do the wave. <laughs> I think I'm that's pretty, that. pretty I simple. Got no problem. All right, well, uh, Blummer, uh, rest of the Twin Series, um, when's your next road trip? Is it the Dallas and then Anaheim? Is that coming up? Yeah, at the end of this week. Because it's the Orioles this weekend. Yeah, Orioles this weekend, then fly out Sunday night, day off in Dallas on Monday, where we're going to go to, uh, what's the name of the restaurant again? Encina. Encina and have a nice meal, and then we're going to have a two-game series against the Texas Rangers. And then fly out to the West Coast. Like, gosh, thank God the last West Coast trip. Um, <laughs> there, there's nothing more annoying than getting out to the West Coast and playing 9 p.m. start times in Houston. Oh, man. I, I cannot wait for next year. I think next year's schedule actually just came out. Yeah. Um, it'll be fun to check that and eliminate at least 
one trip to Seattle, Oakland, and Anaheim off the list so that we can yeah, be a little more in right. the central time zone. That's right. A little, a little baseball after dark. Uh, never hurt anybody though. I, I'm, I'll <laughs> you be know, honest. I enjoy it. I, I know. I'm. I kind of. You know, the people I feel for are the people who have to do the call-in shows after midnight. You know, yes. the baseball like oh, they're truly the workers. Yeah, I mean, doing can it. you imagine having to take no. all those calls from those people who have been drinking the whole night and it's midnight? No mm-hmm. thanks. I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on that one. That's right, bad Blummer, enough to be uh, an armchair quarterback, but a liquid oh. armchair quarterback? <laughs> Man. No, no doubt about it. Well, you guys, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, you can catch us on Spotify, uh, on Apple Podcasts, now on YouTube, uh, the Ooh. inaugural, uh, now on YouTube. And, uh, of course, you can find me on Twitter at Jeff Balke, J-E-F-F-B-A-L-K-E. Blummer's at at Blummer27. And, uh, Blummer, yep. we will talk to you next week. Sounds good. I look forward to it. Always a good time. Yeah, same here. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.